Hi there, this is Mariti Russell. Welcome to the Inner Self audio version of this week's newsletter. There are certain traits of humankind which are commendable, and fortunately, we can emphasize and increase those tendencies in ourselves. We are evolving beings. We're not set in stone or stuck at any particular stage of our life. What may seem like being stuck may simply be a time of preparation for the next step. Reflection, openness to change and to other perspectives will help smooth and guide our way. A rigid tree or branch will break, while one that bends with the wind and with the stresses of life will go on to grow into a stronger experience of life. This week, we focus on things we can change within our own self. And we start with dignity, the hallmark of a great soul. Sarah Main shines a light on this character trait, helps us to identify it in others, and gives us tools to help us grow into dignity ourselves. We then move on to another trait or talent of humans, though many think it's not one they possess. Terry Ann Russell introduces us to the connection between intuition and spirit. You can connect with your built-in ability. We all have a sixth sense, and we can all learn to expand it and trust it. Yet even with dignity and intuition, we still have challenges and day-to-day experiences to live through. Jane Finkel helps us survive and adapt. Eight Keys to Career Survival in the Age of Acceleration. While her article focuses on challenges in your career, the eight keys she presents can be adapted and applied to our personal experiences as well. Again, these are tools that are at our disposal and they reside in our own being. We simply need to accept they are there and be willing to use them. Barry Vissell presents us with a key to attaining peace of mind and connect with all of the higher attributes of self in The Spiritual Life and the Ultimate Spiritual Challenge. He reminds us that we are not alone in our experience. Others are going through the same, and more than that, we have a higher source that we can connect to that will assist us in our life's journey. Barry gives us guidance and inspiration to connect with our true spiritual identity and mastery. Many times, our own past experiences and present attitudes can block us from attaining the sometimes elusive peace of mind and awareness that we yearn for. Some of these blockages reside in resentments towards our own self or towards others. Tina Gilbertson assists us in healing the estrangement between parent and adult child. The dance of relationship, whether between parent and child or between two adults, can be eased by the use of compassion, another trait that we all can nurture and grow into, both in personal relationships and for all planetary residents, human or not. Our attitude towards food also helps support us in our life. It's not only what we eat, but how we eat and why we eat that affect our sense of well-being. Vatsala Sperling asks us if we are experiencing food as friend or foe. She presents the Ayurvedic perspective, which she learned as a child growing up in India. 
She brings us ways to change our focus on food, which then affects our health, not only physically, but also emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. This week, I encourage all of us to identify our strong and weak points, be grateful for our strong traits, work on the ones that need strengthening, and move forward with compassion for ourselves as we experience challenges on the road yet to be discovered. Just as a baby learns to walk step by step, day by day, so do we become more of our true empowered and enlightened self step by step and day by day. Welcome to the Inner Self audio version of Dignity, the Hallmark of a Great Soul, written by Sarah Main. We start with a quote by Susan C. Young. Dignity is a quiet strength which reflects your deep honor and self-respect. It portrays a calm awareness and generosity of spirit, regardless of the environment or circumstances. And that was Susan C. Young. Think of someone you know or know of, someone with a quiet self-assurance, a person with a strong moral compass, who is not swayed by passing fancies, a man or woman who sets a clear direction for their lives, who is dependable and trustworthy, who doesn't give his or her word lightly, but having given it, always follows through. This is a person whom others go to for advice or comfort. These are people who set an example for others, who people think of when presented with a problem. I was reflecting on people like this and how, when you encounter one, the meeting is to be treasured. Even when they are public or historical figures, Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King, Viktor Frankl, and a personal meeting is not on the cards, a meeting of hearts and minds is certainly available. It has been an immense privilege in my life to have met many people who are just like this, strong people in the true sense of that word, not forceful or combative, but steady and resilient. Dignity, a combination of virtues. What word do we have to describe this confluence of qualities? There are many words that could be used to describe this combination of virtues, but the one that seems best is dignity. Dignity is a subtle, elusive quality, but you know it when you see it. It is a quiet strength, integrity, and dependability, which engenders respect and a feeling of admiration. The English word dignity comes from the Latin dignitas which carries the sense of worthiness, worth, honor, that which is fitting and proper. With dignity, therefore, there is worth, value, and substance linked to that which is fitting, proper, and appropriate to the situation. 
So a man or woman of dignity is worthy of honor and behaves in a way that fits the situation. Among friends, they are friendly. When in a position of leadership, they are respectful of those to whom they are responsible and decisive when action is required. They are careful of the feelings and needs of others, but are not swayed by personal consideration from doing the right thing. Seeing the best in others, a projection. People with dignity have inner steadiness and carry themselves with a sense of strength and integrity. And they also view the world through a lens that means they see the best in others. The reason is simple. We all see the world to a greater or lesser extent as a projection of our own thoughts and feelings. This is a very big topic, which we can cover another day. Suffice for now that a dignified person with strength, integrity, and goodwill in their heart looks out on a world and sees those same qualities in others, perhaps hidden, perhaps less manifest in some than others, but they always seek to identify and draw out the best. And this is, of course, reflected in their actions as well. Giving their best, speaking honestly, showing kindness, acting decisively, all this is part of dignity. Mahatmyam, the quality of dignity. Sanskrit, as always, can fill out our understanding of the true nature of this quality of dignity. The Sanskrit word for dignity is Mahatmyam. This is a compound of Maha, which means great, and Atman, which means essential indwelling self or soul. Mahatmyam means great soul, having a great or noble nature, high-minded, high-gifted, exceedingly wise. Perhaps we should resist the temptation to delve too far into these concepts and let them stand for themselves. We can overanalyze notions of nobility and worth and honor and, yes, dignity. We run the same risk as the watchmaker who lays out all the pieces of the clock on his workbench. All the separate elements that go to make up a clock are there. But if you want to know the time, you're out of luck. So let us conclude this meditation on dignity with a look at how we can make it practical. What can we do to grow into this wonderful quality? How to grow into dignity. In the Taitariya Upanishad, there is some very practical advice. When you don't know what to think or say or do in a particular situation, Think of what some wise man or woman would think, say, or do in the same situation, and then do likewise. To become dignified, think of someone you know, the Dalai Lama, Mother Teresa, your grandmother, and ask yourself, what would they think, say, or do if they were in this situation? And then think, speak, and act like them. And one day, probably without you ever knowing it, Someone will think of you when they wish to grow in strength, calm, and dignity, and then they'll copy you. This article was written by Sarah Main, the author of the book Conscious Confidence, Use the Wisdom of Sanskrit to Find Clarity and Success.
Welcome to the Inner Self audio version of Intuition and Spirit. You can connect with your built-in ability. Written by Terry Ann Russell. We all have the ability to intuitively know things. It's just something you feel or even see. The ability is built in. Intuition is a sixth sense of the nervous system used to sense energy, and with experience, you learn to trust it. Obi-Wan Kenobi and Yoda from Star Wars repeatedly tell Luke Skywalker to use the Force and trust his feelings. And you might have noticed it takes a while before this lesson sinks in. Trust takes time. Love and intuition go hand in hand. Without love, you can go no further. So if you are blocked from your intuition, begin by opening your heart to love. Love is the force that holds this universe together, present in everything and everyone, and it expresses itself in you through your actions. Remember that. Even if you don't feel love, you can express it. You can be it and embody it and give it. After all, love is a verb. And verbs are what? Actions. Your heart is your direct connection to source. The more your heart space is open, the clearer your communication can be. Much can be gained by listening to our inner guidance, the voice of intuition. Learning to connect with a loved one in spirit is no different. Intuition and connection take time and practice, but are attainable for everyone. Learning a New Way of Living We learn a new way of living as we open up to our intuitive gifts. For many centuries, the information has been suppressed. That control shall be relinquished now as we learn to open up to this wonderful way of living. Each of us is naturally in touch all the time with our higher self, the part of us that exists outside of space-time. There is no separation. But there is a lack of listening. Each of us is naturally intuitive, too. Some intuitions are transmitted to our conscious minds from our higher self. It's why we sense things we have difficulty getting into words. We just know it to be true because it comes from the ultimate source of truth. Develop your relationship with your higher self and you'll be able to communicate directly with it telepathically. The Four Clairs We connect with our loved ones in spirit by using the four primary clair senses, claircognizance, clairsentience, clairvoyance, and clairaudience. These senses, commonly referred to as sixth sense, parallel our physical senses and are intuitive in nature. You could say they are the senses of the spirit body or soul, integrated with the physical body's nervous system and brain. Claircognizance, the receiving of thoughts and ideas out of nowhere, though they are coming from somewhere. This sixth sense is related to telepathy, and some people do it naturally. Telepathy is a form of communication in thoughts and ideas. Clairsentience, the intuitive and deeply sensitive feelings of energy and vibrations, or vibes. A gut feeling can be clairsentient. Empathy can be clairsentient. 
Strong reactions to negative emotions and sensing a person's true intentions can be clairsentient. Clairvoyance, the ability to see images or movie-like scenes in your third eye. If you are highly clairvoyant, you might see images in your physical environment outside of your third eye. You might see colored lights when your eyes are open or closed. Clairaudient, the hearing of sounds and voices outside of normal hearing range and from sources that aren't physical. You might hear voices originating outside of your body or within your head, or it could be your own voice speaking to you differently from a source outside of the physical, for example, your higher self. People with clairaudient ability might also hear high-pitched sounds or frequencies without knowing why. Receiving Messages from Spirit The clair senses are all tuned to receive messages from people and from beings who are not physical, but they're not the only source. Spirit knows your strengths. It knows which sense is best for reaching you and what's happening in your mind at the time. For example, your mind is distracted by a phone conversation while driving. You come to a traffic light and suddenly feel the urge to slow down. It's so strong you get goosebumps. You slow down just in time to miss colliding with a car that barrels through the intersection. Heeding your clairsentience saves the day and maybe your life too. Your mind was too busy at the time for you to be reached with claircognizance, and your ears were too occupied to be reached with clairaudience. Clairvoyance, a powerful image seen in your mind's eye, isn't the right sense to use while driving either. Instead, you have a gut feeling, because it's the best way to reach you at the time. For some people, it's the best for reaching them anytime, because it's the clair sense they know best. Saved by the you have a gut feeling that saved you from a car accident, but where does it come from? Something knows the danger as you approach the intersection, and it cares enough to manipulate energy so it's felt by your nervous system. But is it a deceased loved one sending the message? Sometimes. Is it a spirit guide or angel? Sometimes. Other times the source could be precognition. The previous night, you saw the scene in a dream, and the sudden déjà vu of witnessing it come true jolts you. Or, you know better than to drive while distracted, and it hits you just in time. Or maybe it's a combination. The rational mind wants a clearly defined cause and effect, but the intuitive mind has no need for it. It just knows. I can say for sure that intuitive senses can be developed. And oftentimes, you learn to listen because of times when you don't and regret it. Spirit calls that practice. And the more you practice, the better you get. Are you listening? You can have many such experiences with Claire's senses before realizing, for example, that the ringing in your ears you think is tinnitus is actually a loved one in spirit communicating with you in a frequency above normal hearing range. Then you learn to slow down your mind and hear the silence behind the chatter, and the ringing turns into a voice you recognize. Or you see the face of the loved one in your mind's eye. Or you just feel them and their loving presence. There's never anything to fear when they connect with you. 
They live in a state of continuous knowledge of complete divine love for everyone. They can never come to you in darkness, pain, or fear. The source of sudden flashes of inspiration you get could be claircognizance, beamed into your brain from the spirit realm. Nikola Tesla, regarded as one of the most brilliant scientists in whose inventions underpin modern technology, said his inspirations come from a source beyond himself. And I quote, My brain is only a receiver. In the universe, there is a core from which we obtain knowledge, strength, and inspiration. I have not penetrated into the secrets of this core, but I know that it exists. Nikola Tesla Some people don't have access to all the clear senses, and certain senses might be stronger in some people than in others. Find out which is your strongest and run with it. Which one is the weakest? I teach clients how to open their intuitive abilities as well as learn which clear sense is their strongest. The best clear sense to work on first is the weakest one. That's usually what spirit guidance tells me to do for my clients. So, for example, if a client is weakest in the area of clairvoyance, I direct them to candle gaze for 5 to 10 minutes per day. It decalcifies the pineal gland, the seat of the third eye, and sharpens our inner vision. With practice, you will see the flame split in two and images dancing in the flames. Welcome to the Inner Self audio version of Survive and Adapt, Eight Keys to Career Survival in the Age of Acceleration, by Jane Finkel. Looking ahead to the future, it's impossible to say what tomorrow's workplace will bring, what transformations will occur from new trends, technology, or other forms of corporate culture. How you navigate your career moving forward will primarily depend on your willingness to adapt. You can't fight off the future. The survival of your career will depend on your ability and willingness to accept the rapid pace of change in today's work world. Layoffs happen, unexpected firings occur, and organizations modify and morph. Your job description can change like a chameleon, you may shift jobs like seasonal clothing, and your organization's managers may come and go. There is still no escaping this inevitable flux, whether you are an entrepreneur or working for a startup. Like sharks in continuous motion, businesses must keep moving to stay alive, quickly shifting and transitioning as they expand and grow. If you adhere to the following keys to survival, your career can outlast the speed of change. Eight keys to career survival in the age of acceleration. One, bring innovative approaches and new ideas to the workplace. 
What knowledge do you possess that others might not? What unique or unusual insights do you have? Where does your imagination take you? 2. Identify an emerging trend that could impact your division and organization. Read professional journals and publications. Attend conferences and panel discussions. Read books that offer progressive theories and ideas. 3. Take calculated risks. Try something that may seem just a little intimidating. If your current work situation is causing conflict, try a new approach or adjust your strategy. Avoid getting stuck in a rut because the usual approach is seductively familiar and comfortable. 4. Think globally to keep on top of a changing world. Identify key trends of globalization and how it impacts markets and career opportunities. Take note of the following global trends causing shifts in the workplace today. The corporate world is shrinking. Work is increasingly project-based. Competition is high. Conceptual skills are more in demand. And many jobs are created due to unmet needs. 5. Be self-directed with your career. Don't expect anyone else to see the future and give you a magical vision of your career yet to come. Along the bumpy ride of company mergers or reorganization, always be your own best advocate and never expect that your employer will act as a benevolent uncle on your behalf. In short, take control of your career's direction. 6. Stay savvy about your organization. Keep abreast of what's going on throughout the organizational landscape. Listen and watch carefully to fully understand the corporate culture and behavioral norms, such as how the company is thriving, where it's faltering, and who is on their way up or out. Find the best way to fit yourself into the company culture without compromising who you are. 7. Keep on top of technology. Don't turn into an old dog that can't learn new tricks. Remain flexible, aware of current trends, and computer sharp. Technological advances continue to accelerate and are driving turbulence and change in the workplace. Unless you keep up to date and ensure that you are technically agile, you are in danger of becoming irrelevant and dispensable. Don't fear technology. Embrace it as an ally, and may the force be with you as you advance your knowledge and succeed in tasks that can lead to career advancement. 8. Be very good at what you do. It is unrealistic to expect that you will be the headliner in every storyline at your workplace. However, your efforts, input, and results should demonstrate to management and colleagues that you are a key contributor who performs at a highly productive level. Whereas building relationships and communicating effectively both orally and in writing are important to your success story, you must equally demonstrate your ability to master major tasks and responsibilities with finesse and confidence. Take care of yourself. As you know, 
Introverts can't be on 100% of the time. You need time to restore your energy before jumping back into the stress of everyday life and work. Taking these moments to recharge and unplug from work and technology is essential to maintain a healthy work-life balance and improve your overall quality of life. Recharge. Recharge. Susan Cain, author of the best-selling book Quiet, coined the term restorative niches, meaning the place you go when you want to return to your true self. All the energy and effort you put out as you speak up and interact with groups in your work can easily deplete an introvert's energy. To recharge, find a moment during the day and a peaceful place to be alone, so you can return to feeling like yourself. Close your office door for a short time, take a walk during lunch or another break, or perhaps find a quiet hallway outside your office where you can decompress. If you work at home and find yourself on the phone with clients and emailing customers all morning, take a few breaks during the day to clean your desk, go to the grocery store, or just sit in a quiet space for a while somewhere in your house or apartment. Sometimes work requires you to be on all day, and your restorative niche might simply be later in the day at home in front of the TV or in your bedroom reading a book. Unplug. Employers are faced with high demands of production in this economy and expect employees to deliver strong and measurable results. Cell phones, email, and texting all conspire to accelerate work and create clients and customers who demand immediate attention. With all these external pressures, you may work longer and harder and could be in danger of slowly slipping into a toxic state of workaholism. Introverts are at risk of overextending themselves because they prefer communicating behind the scenes using technology. You may have a natural aversion to confronting challenges head-on at the time they emerge and instead find yourself using text or email after work hours to try to force the resolution of an issue. To break this habit, Make a commitment to turn off your computer and cell phone before dinner or early in the evening. Otherwise, you'll find yourself floating in cyberspace after hours, losing more of your time on this planet with friends and family. Face the fact that your desk will never be completely clear. That is why they call it work. So unless there is truly an urgent matter at hand from which you cannot divorce, Give yourself an opportunity to exercise different muscles. Making time for hobbies and personal interests can rechannel your energy, and you will likely be happier and more productive in the office, too. Work can be an energizing and powerful way to express your talents, display your skills, and make an impact. Just don't allow work to control your existence, or you will miss out on the endless array of fascinating and enlivening aspects of life that you have every right to experience and enjoy. This article was excerpted from the book The Introvert's Complete Career Guide From Landing a Job to Surviving, Thriving, and Moving on Up by Jane Finkel. 
Hello, this is Barry Vassell, and this month's column is called The Spiritual Life. There are many important things we do here in this life, like loving and being loved by others, or finding meaningful ways to help people and the planet. But the most important thing is our spiritual connection, our relationship to our source, our higher power, divine love, the life force of the universe. If you don't like the word God, choose a word that works for you. The important thing is knowing you are not alone. Knowing you do not have to do everything by yourself. Even being in a relationship with another person cannot fulfill the spiritual need. Another person cannot show you love all of the time, just like you can't be completely present with your partner all the time. I couldn't imagine a more loving person than my wife of over five decades, Joyce. But I can't expect her to be present with me all the time. I can't look outside of me for something that has to come from inside of me. I remember Joyce once giving me an analogy of a glass jar filled with pebbles of all sizes. There was one large pebble, really a rock, on the top. This, she said, was God. Then there was one pebble much smaller than the rock underneath. This, she said, was me. Smaller still were the pebbles that represented our children and grandchildren, and even smaller were our friends and family. Then there was lots of gravel and sand representing everyone else. At least they made it into the jar. And I remember my initial feeling of actual disappointment that I was not the rock, the largest thing in the jar. I was just a large pebble. My ego wanted to be the largest rock in Joyce's jar. But my heart understood. Divine presence is so much more important a connection than another person, no matter how wonderful that person is. Our happiness, our feeling of real peace, depends on our spiritual connection. But first, we must confront our dependence. We must stop pretending that we are only strong and, dependent and independent. Yes, of course, there's nothing wrong with being strong. We all want that. We want to do as much as we can by ourselves, but we can't do everything. I've always prided myself on my physical abilities. I've been able to do many things in my life. Now, as I get ready to turn 75 this May, I'm being forced to confront my physical weakness and limitations. I have a choice. I can get bummed out about my aging, or I can learn the greatest spiritual lesson, my dependence on spirit. 
Feeling my dependence has been my biggest challenge in life. It took me years to finally open up to my need for Joyce's love. Seven years into our relationship, I even tried to prove that I didn't need Joyce by having an affair with her best friend at the time. All I proved was that I was an idiot, and her leaving me finally gave me the chance to open my heart to the gift of dependence. When she saw evidence of my emotional and spiritual growth, she could finally come back to me. And now I'm opening to my need for God day by day, accepting the gift of my dependence. And what a gift it is. As I embrace my dependence on divine spirit, I can feel my true strength. That's the paradox. As I learn to ask for divine help in even the most mundane things, I become happier. I wrote a previous article about being stranded in my sailboat in the middle of huge Lake Tahoe without even the slightest breeze to get me back to shore. And I couldn't start my small outboard motor. I tried every trick I knew and pulled and pulled on that starter cord until my arms ached. Then I remembered my dependence on God and asked for divine help. It took less than a minute to do that. The next pull on the starter cord brought the engine to life. One event like that could be chalked up to coincidence, but there have been so many that I can no longer ignore my dependence on my source. Feeling dependence on Great Spirit is the prerequisite for a spiritual life, and prayer is the action needed. Prayer can consist of two parts. First, gratitude, one of the fastest spiritual paths you can take. How wonderful to thank God for all the blessings in your life. Each time you pray, you can include something new to thank. And second, ask for the help you need, the hardest parts of your life, the relationships that are troubled, the work that you need, or healing for illness or injury, or even the motor that won't start. Nothing is too big or too small to ask for. I strongly believe that the ultimate spiritual challenge is to fully accept the divine both outside and inside. It's beautiful to love God outside of us, to love and have personal relationship with the holy angels and the great master teachers. This is the devotional nature of spirituality where we are lovers and beloveds. 
But no less important is the second truth that each one of us is part of God. It is an enormous responsibility to accept that we are also gods and goddesses. To do this with our egos, without the deepest humility, can get us really lost. Only when we realize that all of us are gods and goddesses equally can we be of real service in this world. In the late 1970s, Joyce and I had a spiritual teacher named Pearl in Mount Shasta. She helped us identify the I am presence within us, our true spiritual identity. To this day, I practice claiming my true spiritual identity. One of my favorite affirmations is, I am the presence of the great masters. I say this to myself and then try to feel what it might be like to be an illuminated saint, to only want to love, like I sing in one of my songs, to only want to bless the world. Sometimes I'm successful in catching a glimpse of what this might feel like. Yet even a tiny glimpse changes the course of my day and it can change yours as well. To help you with your spiritual life, We'd love to give you a free gift, our new, stu our new audio album of Sacred Songs and Chants, available for free download at our website, sharedheart.org. Blessings to you all. Welcome to the Inner Self audio version of Food as Friend or Foe, an Ayurvedic Perspective, written by Vatsala Sperling. When I was growing up in India, we lived a life based on Ayurveda, an ancient system for understanding disease and health that considers food that is grown, cooked, and eaten with reverence as both nutrition and medicine. Our parents taught us to talk to the plants that grew year-round in abundance in our front and back kitchen gardens, as well as on our rooftop, and ask for the plants' forgiveness before cutting, plucking, pruning, or necessarily uprooting them. We were trained to thank the plants for providing us with fruits, vegetables, and flowers, and to take only as much as we needed at any given time. Thus, harvesting was a daily process. My mother was also a great storyteller, and most of her mealtime stories revolved around concepts like thankfulness, 
expressing gratitude toward nature and the gods whose grace keeps us in good physical, mental, and emotional health, and partaking of and enjoying food and benefiting from its life-nurturing qualities. We also saw our parents fast on all religious occasions and for several days every month and donate their share of food to needy people. Milestones in Science versus Individual Attitudes Since my childhood in the 1960s, science has reached great milestones by discovering more and more information about food, including its farming, harvesting, storage, transportation, and biochemical nature. Scientists can predict how many calories and how many grams of any particular nutrient consumed might result in greater longevity or a certain amount of muscle mass or bone density, and perhaps even predict the perfect diet that would result in that elusive goal, immortality. But this wealth of information on every material aspect of food seems to have stripped off the reverential, devotional, prayerful, and thankful attitude toward food and ignores the manner in which it is prepared and eaten. It seems that food is seen as a commodity to be consumed daily, and it is often thought to be more of a curse than a blessing. Seeing my parents remain youthful and vigorous into their 80s and 90s, and recalling my childhood years at home, it is apparent to me that food's effect on one's body, mind, and soul is connected to one's individual attitude toward growing, harvesting, cooking, sharing, and eating that food. Eat to live, and not live to eat. We are and we become what we eat. This is a well-known Ayurvedic concept that I learned at home from my parents. If food is taken as a medicine, wisely, judiciously, mindfully, and with an attitude of eat to live, it can create and maintain a healthy body. However, if food is taken with greed, lust, and a self-indulgent live-to-eat attitude without awareness, knowledge, and refinement, then it destroys the body instead of nurturing and maintaining it. Since food can impact our entire being, we truly are, in fact, what we eat. And if we have the desire to become healthier and more energetic, we can do so by changing our interaction with food and by becoming more mindful of what we ingest. Mother's back-to-basics Ayurvedic intervention was very simple and consisted of the following three steps. 1. Withholding or eliminating the problematic food. 2. Fasting on water only to flush and cleanse the digestive system. 3. Simplifying food intake to one extremely simple, light, and easy-to-digest food. From my childhood background in Ayurveda, I know that the prevention and management of many maladies as well as a cure for some diseases can be accomplished by altering a person's interaction with food and changing what, why, where, when, and how they eat, and sometimes with whom they eat. The latest research in food and nutrition and the insights gained from it suggests that diseases can be prevented and even cured by modification of our eating pattern and the quality of our food. 
Food is medicine is a well-known proverb. The Ayurvedic Way, a holistic approach. Ayurveda is holistic in the sense that it honors and acknowledges the fact that our health, as well as our disease states, are intrinsically connected to our thoughts, emotions, environment, living conditions, exercise level, and food intake. At the time Ayurveda was developed as a system of medicine thousands of years ago, human beings were still hunting and gathering or conducting small-scale subsistence farming for their basic food needs. Because they depended completely on nature for food, shelter, and medicine, people knew that nature and her rhythms and seasons must be honored. But times have changed, and people's connection to nature has changed too. We now live in an industrialized world where quantity and profit-driven commerce are valued much more than quality and a benevolent worldview. We have abandoned the peaceful, earth-honoring lifestyle of our ancestors that caused the least amount of harm to the environment and are now paying the price by way of a general decline in our overall health and well-being. My personal familial background with Ayurveda has helped me see food, its cultivation, preparation, and consumption, from a completely different perspective than the one I hear about from the clients I meet in my homeopathy practice, and what I observe in the modern industrial commercial methods of cultivating, handling, cooking, and eating food. What is your relationship to food? Since 2008, I have been engaged in a family practice of homeopathy. I see many clients with a variety of illnesses. After all, a family practice is an open door for any and all complaints experienced by people. As part of my inquiry into the wellness of my clients, I routinely ask them about their food intake. Finding out about what people eat, how they view their relationship to food, and how they experience food cravings and aversions is part of a general inquiry into the totality of the individual. Some of the food issues people bring to my attention include not being hungry or thirsty, being hungry or thirsty all the time, struggling to lose weight, or losing too much weight too quickly. They eat too much sugar or lick salt off the spoon. They crave chocolate, ice cream, or bread and can easily eat a full bar of chocolate, a pint of ice cream, or a loaf of bread in one sitting. They are into drinking tens or more bottles of soft drinks a day, and they refuse to eat any vegetable that is not white and creamy. For example, they only eat mashed potatoes. By inquiring about the client's food habits, it oftentimes becomes as apparent as daylight that at least a part of their wellness concern is connected with faulty food intake. Is food the leading cause of death? In their global burden of disease study that spanned 195 countries and lasted from 1990 until 2017, Researchers from the University of Washington discovered that unhealthy diets cause more deaths than smoking and high blood pressure. They also found that although the consumption of red meat, excess salt, sugary beverages, and other bad foods play a role in the death toll, the majority of deaths are due to people not eating enough of the foods that are good for them, fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, and whole grains, for example. 
By tracking the intake of 15 different dietary elements, the researchers found that poor diets accounted for 10.9 million deaths worldwide. This is a fifth of the total preventable fatalities. In comparison, tobacco consumption is linked to 8 million deaths, and high blood pressure accounts for 10.4 million deaths. The lead researcher of this study has urged the health authorities to focus on promoting healthy eating comprising fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, and whole grains, and not to stress dropping sugars, fats, and salt. He bases his argument on the logic that when people begin to eat the right kind of food that is good for them, they will drop eating the food that is bad for them. And he says, generally in real life, people do substitution. When they increase the consumption of something, they decrease the consumption of other things. Ayurvedic Recommendations Ayurveda can help anyone to heal the present-day sufferings related to the destruction of humanity's relationship to food and the manner in which it is grown, handled, cooked, and eaten. Ayurveda has a very vast toolkit at its disposal. It has a system of surgery and a pharmacopoeia that address advanced disease states, and it also has a very strong specialty that deals with preventive measures. To help with the prevention of maladies related to food, Ayurveda recommends a few simple techniques that anyone can follow in the comfort of their own home and without great expense or any special professional training or intervention. The three simple steps in the time-tested Ayurvedic technique are as follows. 1. Fasting on water only or water and herb teas only to help flush out old remnants impacted fecal matter and germs that are harmful, and also to rebalance the bacteria in our gut. 2. Isolating food by eating only one type of food at a time to simplify digestion and allow the body to fully absorb all the nutrients in a particular food, also known as monodiet. 3. Mixing foods from various food groups in a sensible way. Growing up in a household that was based on Ayurveda, I saw firsthand the practicality, utility, simplicity, and intelligence of these three fundamental Ayurvedic principles and how they assist us in regaining vitality. An outstanding feature of these techniques is that while you are busy and fully, diligently, and consciously engaged in healing and rebooting yourself from the inside out, you are not suffering the hunger pangs, exhaustion, deprivation, and cravings that are usually associated with any change in the way we eat or the usual diet plans. Instead, you have lightness in the body and a satisfying feeling that finally you are doing something positive, sustainable, and logical to help yourself. Food can be your friend. Is simply eating the right food at the right time and in right quantity sufficient to keep you healthy? My personal experience is that the energy has to be channeled in a positive direction, and physical exercise and a routine of regular body movement are essential for obtaining the greatest benefit from the Ayurvedic Reset Diet. Adding an exercise regimen to your day-to-day -day life will increase the oxygenation and flexibility of the muscles and joints, 
strengthen the musculoskeletal structures, enhance the blood circulation and waste elimination systems, positively impact moods and emotions, and provide an overall sense of well-being. It is my earnest hope that, going forward, you will begin to see food as a friend that helps and supports your efforts to get better and stay better, and not as a foe that threatens you and sucks out your vital energy. This article was excerpted from the introduction of the book, The Ayurvedic Reset Diet, Radiant Health Through Fasting, Monodiet, and Smart Food Combining, by Vatsala Sperling. The article was read by Marie T. Russell, publisher of InnerSelf.com. We hope you have enjoyed this week's newsletter and its featured articles. For over 30 years, we at InnerSelf have shared new attitudes and new possibilities with our readers all over the world. For more inspiration, visit us at InnerSelf.com. Thank you.